Very good morning. What a powerful moment we had now. Thank you, Mark. What amazing scripture. Welcome this morning. If you don't know me, if you're watching on YouTube, my name is Danny. I'm part of the leadership team of this local church. I want to invite all of you to open your Bibles. We're going to read in a few minutes. Just, you know, that gap when the preachers ask you to open our Bible and then we tell the story just to give it time to find in your phones or... It's easy. Psalm 51. Psalms between Genesis and Revelation. Old joke. Yeah. And we are in this series talking about the King David. David, Saul. In this David's life, we can have many films, movies about his life. There's a lot about his life. Uh, I preached about a very dark, difficult moment on his life a few weeks ago. And today, I'll talk again about a very tough moment. And this is a rhetoric question. Don't raise your hands, okay? Do you remember the worst moment of your life? Come on, Danny, Sunday morning. I'm here, I'm trying to forget, to forget those things. They were asking me, of course I remember. Who can forget the pain, humiliation? You know that moment where you felt lost and alone or guilty or I don't know with moral debts with someone we are talking about this moment in David's life and of course the lessons from God to me and you and to David but before talking about the great grace of God and forgiveness and restoration I need to give you a bit of context so I ask for your patience. I go to this story. Is the story between David and Bathsheba. Now, some of you are very familiar. Some of you, wow, what weird name. And coming from a guy with your accent makes it just worse. <laughs> What's the name? Stuart gave me this name another day. What's the name? Shrek. Do you know Shrek? The, the movie? The, the, the cartoon? Yeah. What's the name of the cat? What's the name? Yeah, this one. It's like my accent, Antonio Banderas. I'm not so rich or beautiful like him, but it's the same accent. So her name is Bathsheba. And some of you are familiar with the story. Some of you don't know, don't have a clue. So I try to be short and give a bit of context. And then you apply for some lessons to your life, family, and for me as well. Okay? What was happening? Wow. Had a plan. And his plan A was to give Uriah a break. Let me explain what's happening. David was walking in the rooftop of his palace and he saw this lady bathing, having a shower in the window. And he saw her, of course she was naked, and he saw and he thought, wow, I want this woman for me. And he asked, who is that lady? And the guy gave to David the whole information. Yeah, that lady's married. And her husband, his name is Uriah. And he's your soldier. And he's fighting your war, David. He's such a brave guy. And he's outside in the battlefield with all the soldiers um, fighting. And David said, yeah, I don't care. Bring her. And they had sex. And after a while, she sent a WhatsApp message to David. 
and you know that message, you see the name, oh. and David opened the message and was there, I'm pregnant. David, wow. So why David was so worried? Because in those days, the wars, they used to take a long time, maybe years in a war. How can I explain this now? I need to pay pension for this kid and all these things in his head. So he make a plan. And the first plan is, okay, I give a a break, a holidays, a reward. Guys, he sent a WhatsApp message for the general on the battlefield. Bring Uriah home. Bring him, just take a break. Go to Spain, enjoy holidays, a honeymoon, a honeymoon with your wife. Makes sense. And later on, I'm pregnant, Uriah's boy. Oops, his face. It's his plan. So he did. Uriah came home. But Uriah decides to not spend the night with his wife, Bathsheba. And David thought, oh, I need another plan. I need a plan B. So he keeps going downstairs, further down. And his plan B was, I make it drunk. Let's drink. Because then in the next morning, oh, I don't remember. Well, now my love, I'm pregnant. Make sense? So invite Uriah, let's have a barbecue and party and drink lots of wine and etc. And he did. But again, Uriah is so tough. You know, looks like, what's the name here? Soup opera? opera? Soap opera? Yeah. And you are watching this and, come on, Uriah, come on, David. And, you are, and then Uriah was drunk. Instead, go home and spend the night with, with uh, his wife. He's just slept in the street. Yeah, and then, come on, and people are giving information to David. So there's a psalm in the Bible saying that deep calls to deep. He's just lose his mind. David now is like animal. And he thought, I, I need to fix this situation. So my next stage is, I will kill Uriah. So he said, WhatsApp message, Uriah, come home, uh, come here to the palace, let's have a meeting. You are returning to the war, to the battlefield. Can you please... Take this message to your boss in the battlefield, to your general, Joab. And he wrote the message, he put the seal, the king's seal, and in this envelope was written to the general, okay, take Uriah, put him in the front line of the battle, and leave him alone so he can die. And he gave the envelope to who? Uriah. Uriah was so faithful to the king, and he took his own... What's the word? Death sentence in his hands. And after this, I will be free, David thinking, I will be free to marry with her. Done. All evidence of his crime has been destroyed after Uriah's death. You see, he's acting like animal. He lost all the moral break, everything. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And, and the Greek word for this in the New Testament, the idea behind this blessed are the meek is, uh, is like a wild animal that has been tamed. There's a monster inside David. It's just coming out. And he's okay with this plan. 
But the problem with sin is this. This story is in the second Samuel chapter 11. In the very end of the chapter, we have this verse. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sees. The Lord was there. So after nearly nine months, the baby uh, was born and David was okay. So the Lord said something, okay, I'll send a prophet to speak with David. Now, to be a prophet is such a hard thing. Because you need to give a message from God and you need to remain faithful for that message. And sometimes the message is so difficult and hard and displeased people. But the prophet Nathan was his name. He went to the palace. And in those days they used to receive the prophets with honor because he was a man of God. And, oh, prophet, please come, red carpet. The prophet's coming, bring food and etc. gifts. And Nathan, the prophet, said, David, I need to tell you something. Great storyteller. Now, a few minutes more, I'll finish the story and have some applications to our lives. David, I was walking around in your kingdom, and I, I heard about this guy. Okay, the guy was rich. He, actually, he is a very rich guy with lots of uh, Israel for us in the 21st century uh, to measure and to say that someone is rich because he has a lot of cattle or sheep, but was their currency. So this guy was a great farmer, lots of cattle and sheep and etc. And another guy, a poor guy with just one lamb. A baby lamb? lamb? And his kids and his family were so happy with that lamb. And the lamb used to sleep with the kids, to play with the kids. They were eating, playing around with that lamb. But the rich guy, he received someone in his home, a visitor, a guest. So instead to prepare a nice meal and a barbecue with one of his cattle or sheep, he stole the baby lamb from the poor guy. And he killed and he gave for his guest. David was fuming furious. The Bible said. The Bible says. So David said. Who is this guy? Kill him. Or he needs to repay everything for the, the, the poor guy. You know. When we have this sense of justice. And then you put your seatbelt. Because then Nathan say. Okay. By the way. The guy is you. And then the prophet comes with the whole sentence David God was there and he saw and if you keep reading the text God says to the prophet to David I never I never said no to you before I gave you everything why are you crazy and it's a long sentence from this story we are going to read now Psalm 51 is the outcome, is the result of this conversation. We have in the Bible seven psalms. We call the um, penitential psalms. These the psalms where the, the author is talking about his pain and guilt and sin before God. And now we are going to read. It's not coming to your screen because I haven't put that because it's long. But we read together. This psalm bears the mark of deep guilt and it was written out of his pain, anxiety, and fear, 
and reveals the essence of a true confession. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot away my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse, uh, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. By the way, hyssop, it was a branch they used in the Old Testament ceremonies to clean uh, the sins of people. They used to uh, this branch with water and blood. And what's the word? To, yeah, spray on people. It's crazy stuff. Old Testament, okay? Just pray. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my in, all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My, sacri my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, you not despise. Let's pray. We need this, Lord Jesus. Your Holy Spirit is here, and you can put life in these words here. Behind every sentence, behind Behind every paragraph, there is life of God. It's your word. We are here as your church. Speak with us this morning. Amen. I just want to share a few lessons from this psalm with you this morning. Now, you know the context. You know what is happening. And I have some lessons to share. Sin made him, David, dirty. And he wanted to be clean. Guilty had made him sick. He wanted to be well. Disobedience had made him lonely. And he wanted to be reconciled. Rebellion had made him fearful. And he wanted to be pardoned. Maybe I'm speaking with someone here this morning. This hall or YouTube. That is feeling dirty, sick, fearful. And need to be reconciled. Need to be clean. Need to be forgiven. Some few lessons from this text. Number one, David, he knew that sin, his sin deserved judgment. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. 
verse 4. What he's saying here? He's saying, God, if you judge me, and if your judgment means that I would be in hell, or for, forever separated from you, you are blameless. He's saying, I deserved, I deserved your judgment. Because I have sinned. He knew. That's why he starts verse 1 saying, Be gracious to me, O God, according to the greatness of your compassion. You see, he starts the psalm appealing to grace and compassion. Why? Because he cannot appeal to justice. And law, because if God is just and righteous, David deserves to die. And this sentence came from David's mouth. Oh, this guy in that story about the, the little sheep, the lamb, this guy deserves to die. He's talking about himself. That's why he's going to grace and compassion. Because I don't deserve. You know, Sometimes the problem in our generation that we are living now, we have lots of people, lots of people that doesn't feel guilty about sin anymore. In one hand, we have people just having their normal lives with normal sins and the weekends they go to the church, no guilt, don't, don't, don't feel bad, they want to be... They want to feel comfortable all the time. On the other hand, we have churches and, and preachers who doesn't talk about sin anymore. There's no Nathans anymore. There is no prophets anymore. Yeah, maybe few here and there, but don't preach against sin because it's not nice. Maybe you lose some people in the church. Maybe you decrease our um, uh, gifts in the church and our finances. So let's try to be very nice with everybody. And it's so hard because sometimes as preacher or pastor or leader, you need to keep explaining that, oh, you're not like that guy or that guy. And you try to be biblical but not talk about sin. So in one hand, we have a, a generation that people that their mindset is to feel okay with their sin. In another hand, we cannot talk about sin because it's legalism. So David knew, okay, I have a problem. I have sinned against God. So, he, had, uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah. But he's saying his sin is against God. It's against God. That's why he's saying grace and compassion. This undeserved favor, this undeserved consideration. Withholding of judgment. And the saddest thing is to see that many of us, many of us, we keep living our lives okay with the same sin again and again and again. And I have cool names for this. Oh, you cannot judge me. Oh, God want what make me happy all the time. And this morning, we will understand why this mindset, where it came from. Second lesson, sin was part of his nature. He said in verse 5, man, um, surely I was sinful at birth. 
Sifu from the time my mother gave me. Now, uh, we have a mentality in our generation built by this guy. This is a such famous guy, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, a Geneva um, philosopher. He's so important in our uh, generation, our, because everything that he taught, many things that he taught, uh, came part of something that came later on to be part of the Age of Enlightenment, or even the modern politic, economic politic. A lot of our mindset, we don't know why we are behaving or we think like this, came from this, not only Rousseau, of course, but many of them. One of his teachings was this, and he was a brilliant man. He was a brilliant man. Even the French Revolution, he was part of this. But one of his teachings was, man or the humankind by nature is good. What he was trying to say, that if you have an, a person in the middle of the jungle with no influence of the environment, this person, you'll be a good person. He was trying to teach, and somehow we understand, and we understood, and we adopted this kind of mentality or mindset. He was saying that the problem of the humankind is in outside, is the environment. So is the government, is the family, and all the influences that make us corrupt, that make us evil. Because by nature, we are good. So, and somehow we have this in our society today. What David said was different. And what the Bible is teaching is something totally different. That we need to understand this weird word we call doctrine. This teaching that we call total depravity. Is God's opinion and God's teaching against Rousseau and our society opinion. What the Bible is teaching is this. From the beginning of the word, I'm going to read now Genesis chapter 6. Because sometimes you say, oh, every generation is just becoming worse. And oh, in my days, was it? No, no. In the beginning of the world, we had this problem. The Lord saw how great the weakness of the human race had become on the earth. And now pay attention. Every inclination of the actions, of the deeds, no. Of the thoughts of the human heart. In the Jewish and, uh, culture, heart uh, represents the, the core of the human emotions. So he's talking about the within, the deep inside. The inclination of thoughts in the human heart was only evil all the time. I have many other texts in the Bible talking about this. So what's wrong with the world? They claim... The problem is outside, it's the environment, it's the government, it's the economy, it's the global warming, the poverty, uh, disadvantages that we have in life. You know, when did I become a sinner or you? Before we were conceived. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, that came to all people because all sinned. What the Bible is saying, something that we call original sin. Because of that first sin, death came. 
sin came. So from parents to child, from parents to child. That means before I was conceived, I was condemned to hell. I was already a sinner. Because this sinful nature from our first father, the Bible called Adam, is already part of me. So total depravity means that my inner being and self is deprived, is corrupt. I need to put a lot of effort to not be selfish, to forgive someone, to be generous. Because it's easy for me just to complain, just to be selfish, just to take revenge, to feel angry all the time. I know my moral, uh, I know the good things that I should do and I have to do, but I can't, it's difficult. But I keep doing wrong. And these wrongs sometimes give me pleasure, but sometimes give me guilty, and I don't know how to get rid of this. I don't know. So the problem is sin is not something that I go there and I sin. It's here. It's my inclinations. It's my thoughts. It's my real motivations. Oh, you, I ask God, please, in the judgment day, God, don't display in the big screen all my thoughts. Because if God today opens my heart, there's a lot of dirt inside. If God decides to display in this screen behind me my thoughts from this last week. No, please. We know how to pretend because we are civilized. But deep inside, there is something wrong. That's why David said in verse 5, I'm sinful at birth. So it's totally different than Rousseau. The sin nature, sinful nature of Aden has been transmitted, passed down from parents to child to us. So, come back to my question. What's wrong with the House of Parliament in London? What's wrong with Hollywood? What's wrong with abortion clinics? What's wrong with crimes and violence? What is wrong with when child abuse? What is wrong when you see in a country invading another country, killing innocent people? What is wrong? It's the human heart. Is he inside? David is not saying to God, oh, oops, God, something went wrong because I'm basically a good person. I don't know. Sorry, God. No, he's saying there's something wrong inside of me. This is the bad news. Now, there's a good news. There's a solution for this. I don't know if you have seen before um, a diamond. Diamond is very expensive and nice and beautiful and all of this. But if you pay attention, when you see in some shop, jewelry shops or in films or whatever, you see that stones, diamond, and oh, yeah, I know it's beautiful, it's nice, expensive. But when they put the diamond for you to see, you see, yeah, it's okay, but it's not like, wow. But you know what they do? They take the diamond and they put and they lay on a black velvet in the background, backdrop. Everything changes. The lights, everything changes. And you see the colors and the lights because of the black. Every um, gem, every rare and very expensive stone they put in the black thing behind to display better so you can see better. So I, I cannot 
understand the grace of God, the cross of Jesus, the forgiveness of the sin, and my salvation, if I don't understand how dirty I am, the sin that I came from. That's why Mark came here on the stage and he read a few minutes ago about we are saved by grace. And many of us, we spend our lives trying to pay back God. His goodness and, and salvation, trying to behave well, it's impossible. We cannot meet these standards. God's standards, it's just impossible. By grace, by God's decision, because he loved, is nothing in me. There is nothing in me that makes God just decide, oh, because you are so nice, Daniel. And I like rocks, and I will save you. Nothing in me. And if you read your Bible later on, Romans chapter 3, Paul talks about, um, it's a very strong language, um, a grave, graveyard, open when you have the corpse. And he talks about this in our hearts come out in our throat. It's like open. It's dirty. It's dirty. But then we go for the third lesson from this morning. David knew he was unable to change himself. That's why he said in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. This is my invitation for you this morning. This kind of prayer is a different prayer. Of course, we, you can pray for everything. Your family, your future, etc. But this kind of prayer is different. God, could you create in me a pure heart? And a steadfast spirit within me. Now I'm not talking about things outside. I'm talking about my heart. We are going to have baptism this morning. Some people that will repent from their sin. It's coming to Jesus this morning. They are coming to Jesus this morning. We will celebrate a new life. But maybe you, who are watching this online or here in this morning, you need to have this prayer as well. God. Could you forgive me again? And I know this voice that keeps talking to you saying, are you coming back to God again? Are you, do you think God is a forgiving machine? You just press button again with the same sin again? Ah, I know this voice. And this voice is lying to you. Because to be back to God again is biblical. That's why you have something called the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came and he had a perfect life. And he died on the cross for our sins, for forgiveness. And to give us eternal life. He sent his Holy Spirit. And is his Holy Spirit who is touching your heart right now. Talking to your, to your mind now. Hey, you need to repent. Hey, you need to change your ways. Hey, you need to come back to God. You need to follow Jesus. You need to surrender your life. Because the way that you're trying to cope with your life is not working at all. And you feel guilty. And you feel uh, something wrong in you. It's God crushing you. I want to invite. Manuela, could you read for us Psalm 32? And the worship guys, and then we have a, a lot of space to worship Jesus and for the baptism. My love, could you read the microphones over there? I'll ask for Manuela to read Psalm 32, verse 3, and part of 4, please. Okay. It says, When I kept silent, 
my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Thank you, my love. Thank you. What David was saying, Psalm 32. In this time, in this nine month, before I wake, before I repent of my sin, when I kept silence about my sin, when I tried to fix my problems in my own terms, and my own uh, decisions without God, your hand was crushing me, was heavy on me. And this is something very interesting. You see, a person that don't feel this guilty, this crushed, I don't know, the guy can just have an affair, go back home and sleep in peace. But there are some specific people who feel bad, sad. God, looks like you're crushing me. I don't feel peace. I feel dirty. And I have some friends, they don't feel dirty, but I've, I feel like I'm, I need to do something with my life. God. Never will you leave you in peace when you are under the power of sin. He's invited you to something called repentance, salvation. So you are someone chosen by God. That's why sometimes we feel bad. That's why sometimes I was talking with, with, with a person last week. And this person is facing a very tough situation. And this person said to me, Wow, I need to pray about this, but I feel ashamed to come to God because I have a lot to explain to Him. The last forever, 400 years that I haven't prayed. And now I need to pray for this situation. I need God's help, but I need to explain. I don't know if you... How can I come to God now that I need Him in my whole life? You know what's funny? When Jesus died on the cross, he knew already about your sins. He saw all of it. And Ephesians 2 that Mark was reading here for us says that before the creation of the world, he saw you and your sins. And he died on the cross. And the Bible says that the, gro- the cross is there before the creation of the world. How, how, is, how can this be possible? When God crushes you, when God, when you feel sadness about your sins, God invites you, come to me. Come to me. There is grace, undeserved favor. There is forgiveness. There is hope and a new life because of Jesus. And because of him, we are here this morning. Because of him, we are being baptized this morning, people being baptized this morning. Because of Jesus Christ, there is hope for you. There is forgiveness for you. You don't need to explain nothing. He knows everything about you. He just want make party and celebration to have you back in his arms. This is your morning. And I really don't mind. I really don't care if you are a Christian for the last 200 years of your life. I am not Christian enough to say, God, I don't need to ask forgiveness because I know everything about the Bible. Come on. Just take your heart, put before him. I don't know what to do with my life, God. I'm trying to behave well. I'm trying to be more polite. I try to not this or that. But, you know, I just surrender for you. Create in me, God, a pure heart because I cannot save myself. Let's stand and pray.
I want to invite you to pray, to close your eyes and to bring your mind and your heart for this place now. Maybe you need forgiveness. Maybe you need to feel the love of God again because it's, it's been a long, long time that you're not feeling that God is with you or His love and compassion. David said, God, please restore in me the joy of salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. He was saved. You are saved, but there's a lack of joy. Lord Jesus, this very morning here, could you bring back the joy for some hearts here, Lord Jesus? I know there are some people here. It's a long time. They are not feeling peace anymore. They are not feeling your love anymore. They lost the joy and the hope. But you are here this morning, Lord Jesus. And not because of us, our performance, but because your grace and love. Bring forgiveness this morning, Lord, please. I want to ask you if you feel that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. This is your morning. We want to pray with you. And this morning can be your morning. You can leave this building different. You can leave this building with a new joy and a new hope and a new peace. We're not here talking about religion, church, to become a believer or doctrines. We are here talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and who died for you. And God will put in your heart His Spirit and everything you change. We want to be available here to pray with you. By the end of this service, come to speak with us. We want to hug you. We want to pray with you. We don't need to walk alone. Lord Jesus, this is a morning of reconciliation. Those who are once, once they were part of some church or some Christian family... And they stray away. They are far from you. They feel they are far from you. But this is the morning when they need to come back. This is the morning that you are with your open arms to forgive their sins and to give a new life. This is your morning, Jesus. Be here with us. I want to invite you to sing the next song. And then for the guys for the moment. And if you need to speak with someone, come on, we are here for you. We are here to pray with you. You don't need to walk alone. Jesus really loves you, really loves you, and he wants to write a new story to you.